Do you ever go back and forth between two different decisions or three different decisions? And in your mind, you're not sure. What we're looking at right here certainly appears to me to be people who are sure that Jesus is worthy of respect. He's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And what are people doing as he approaches but taking off their clothes, laying them on the ground where he will pass, cutting off palm fronds, laying those in the road where he'll pass. And why in the world are they doing that? Was there a problem with the streets in Jerusalem at that point, in that place? Not at all. They were simply trying to show honor. And you see by what they are saying that they are trying to show honor. It says in verse 9, the crowds going ahead of him and those who were following. So there were crowds going ahead and crowds behind. Crowds of people, throngs of people putting their clothes and palm fronds in the road so Jesus could pass Not touching the dirt, not touching the ground. And they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Praising Jesus as a leader, a spiritual leader. Praising Jesus not simply as a spiritual leader, but as the son of David. If you've ever followed the idea, this lineage of David... Among the Jews. That was huge because it was of God. God had said of David that he would set a man on the throne of his lineage, and Jesus is the one who was in mind. And here he is coming into Jerusalem, and the crowds are saying, Hosanna, son of David. Verse 11 says, They were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now you can keep reading and what you find out that he does in verse 12 and following. The first thing he does when he gets into town is is he goes to his father's house, so to speak. Not the house of Joseph. What house am I talking about? What house is Matthew writing about? He's writing about the temple. He goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. What kind of an act is that? He said, you've made my father's house a place of merchandise. But it's not going to happen on my watch. So he displays who he is after the people have acclaimed him as the son of David. Talked about him as the prophet of Nazareth from Galilee. And that's what's happening here. But if you go a little farther in Matthew's gospel. This is chapter 27. You get down to verse 19. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. While he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife said to him in a message, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. Jesus is on trial. 
And Pilate offers Barabbas, a thief and a robber. Or rather, he offers Jesus to let Jesus go. And instead of choosing Jesus, who do the people choose? They choose Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Free Barabbas. What do they want done with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him, they say. Now, if you take a look at what's between Matthew 21 and 27, those two chapters, it's about six days. Jesus comes to Jerusalem on Sunday. This is Friday. Not many days have passed, have they? At one point, they're hollering out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the next point, they're hollering out, crucify him, crucify him. Is it the same people? I don't know if it's exactly the same people, but we're talking about crowds ahead of Jesus, crowds behind Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. And now here's a crowd of people crying out for his death. The governor said to them in verse 21, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? And they all said, crucify him. Pilate, Pilate, the Roman governor, heathen, pagan Roman, says, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Think about what you're reading. Six days prior, crowds are crying out that Jesus is the, the son of David. He's the prophet of God. Coming into Jerusalem, they're putting their clothes on the ground, cutting palm fronds, putting those in the ground. And now they're crying out for his blood. And Pilate is defending Jesus, trying to reason with them into letting him go. And they're not having any of it. It gets so bad, Pilate seems to be so morally disturbed by this that he washes his hands publicly. He says, this guy's innocent, and you're asking me to put him to death. No, you're demanding that I put him to death. So me, the Roman, pagan, heathen, governor, I'm going to wash my hands in front of all of you to show that I don't have anything to do with this. How bad was it what they were crying out for? What had happened in those few days that so many people had changed their minds? What horrible things had people done? Besides cleansing the temple, what else had he done? Oh, he... You go back and you look, everything he did was marvelous. That's all he ever did. People don't know what to think about Jesus today, some of them. Who's going to lead them to a decision about Jesus that's like those who made the decision that he was the son of David? That's going to have to be us. There isn't anybody else. We're going to have to impact people's thinking to that degree. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We are the persuaders. We are the ones who are the lights. We are the ones who are the salt. We are the ones that Jesus called cities on hills. The ones who follow him, who believe in him, who show the world. He really is the Christ. 
Let the world and everybody else believe what they want. Like Joshua said, why do you halt between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Jesus is the Christ, if he's the Messiah, serve him. And who's controlling our thoughts about who he is? But not just about who he is, but even if you believe Jesus is the Christ, who's controlling your thoughts about how you live in this life? One of the things Jesus said he came to give us was rest. Follow him and we'll have rest. Do you have rest when you're trying to make a decision about things? I mean, big important decisions. Like whether or not you're going to shop at Dollar Tree. Or Walmart or Target. I know, that's just penny ante stuff, isn't it? Well, it seems like it is. But the things we're talking about are profound enough to impact even those kinds of decisions. Do you ever worry about who's going to see you going into a certain store because maybe that store is not nice enough or because it's, it's too nice and people will think, well, who are you going into that store? Do you, do you ever wonder, well, should I buy Starbucks or not? Ooh, that's the big question in the sermon this morning. Should I buy Starbucks? What's the thing about Starbucks? Well, some people say, oh, it's, it's too expensive. Like one comedian said, well, I don't get Starbucks. So I just go home and make my own coffee and, and light a $5 bill on fire. And at the same time, I'll spell my name wrong and it'll all be the same stuff. But really, what's, what's wrong with buying Starbucks? Is that some kind of a moral question? Is, are you not a Christian if you buy Starbucks or are you a better Christian if you don't? What should control your decision? And once you make your decision, what do you do about it? What kind of a car do you drive? I know PJ remembers Jim and I had this funny thing between Fords and Chevys, and I told him, I'm going to put a sticker on your casket when you die. For that, I, Was it Fords he didn't like or Fords he did like? Fords were bad. Okay. Yeah. Found on the road dead. That's what it was. So, yeah, I told him I was going to put a Ford sticker on his casket. when he died. Do you drive a Toyota? One of those rice burners? Or a, or a Honda? Do you drive a... What do you drive? Does it matter? Do you think God in heaven cares? What kind of a car you drive? What about your clothes? Where do you get your clothes? What does God care about these kinds of things? What he cares about is why we make the decisions to do the things that we do. Something impacted the minds of these people from Sunday to Friday to go from thinking Jesus was the one to Jesus needs to be crucified. What was it? How can people's minds be changed so drastically? There's another illustration of something very similar to this in Acts chapter 14. If you want to take a look at Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas go to the city of Lystra. And they're preaching the gospel in Lystra. That's what they go there for. You know who lived in Lystra? Listerines. Come on. Says in Acts 14, verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, 
said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up. He leaped up. He leaped up and he began to walk. It's interesting. It says the man was listening to Paul as he spoke. And from his, his listening, somehow Paul could see that he had faith to be made well. You go to the, the 16th chapter. Now, you can look at this later. But it says something similar about a woman named Lydia. She was listening to Paul. And it says, Luke writes, because she was listening to Paul, God opened her heart. There's something about the way we listen. Something about the way we give heed to certain things. You judge something to be worthy of listening to. Or you judge it not worthy of being listened to. You judge something worthy of being seen for what it is or or otherwise. This man was listening to Paul. Paul saw that he had faith and he said to him, stand up right on your feet. That's all he said. That's all he did. And the man jumped up. He'd been lame from his mother's womb and now he jumps up and he's walking around. And when the crowd saw that Paul had, what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. These two strangers are in town. They see what they've done and they say, these guys are gods. They began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, do you, you catch the priest of Zeus? The priest of Zeus? The most right reverend of Zeus. It says his temple was just outside the city. This guy brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and they rushed out into the crowds saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. So Paul and Barnabas come into town, see a man as they're preaching with withered legs, bad legs, Paul says, stand upright on your feet. And the man jumps up and walks and the people see this. And what do they do but proclaim these two men to be gods? And the priest of Zeus, who's in charge of the temple, the temple's right there. He brings oxen and he brings garlands, the celebratory garlands, and they're going to offer sacrifices to these two guys. What does Paul say? And what does he do? They tear their clothes. Why do they tear their clothes? Well, that's a, a Jewish indication of, of great mourning. Something horrible is happening. And what they're saying, it's horrible that you see us as gods. We are not gods. That's how fervently they wanted these people to understand that they were not gods. And then they preach to them some more. Well, it says, picking up where we left off there, verse 19, 
Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, what'd they do? One verse, just one verse. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, wait a minute. One minute they're offering or, or wanting to offer sacrifices to these guys as gods. The next minute, they stone them to death. And that was their intention, to death. Paul didn't die. Stoned him, and then what did they do after they stoned him? Drug him out of town. You ever been dragged anywhere? No, I don't mean, yeah, my mom used to drag me to this. Drag. No, I mean really, literally drag. Because that's what this is. This is literally dragging him out of town as if he's a dead body. Stone him to death, drag him out of town. Who's that guy? Well, he's the guy that just a little while ago healed this guy from being lame from his womb. What happened? I, I know the Jews came. And they won the people over. What they said, it's not included what they said, but they won the people over somehow. But why didn't one of those Listerinians say, wait a minute, guys. You can't stone someone who's just given our, our fellow brother, our fellow citizen back his legs. That's crazy. That's insane. But that's what they did. I see this in the world all the time. Who would have thought <clears throat> all us old people, we say this all the time. Who would have thought 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago or even 20 years ago, and who would have thought that long back or that far back that things would have changed in our culture and in our society the way they have to this point? I used to, to watch the news with my mom and dad when I was a kid because that's what you did back in those days. Walter Cronkite was on. Oh, get Walter on the TV set. Let's see what's going on in the world. And what did Walter Cronkite do? He told you the news. So what you get when you watch the news today? You got to be careful, don't you? Because people's thinking has changed. And we are influenced by what people say and what people do. And so we have to be careful all the time. What do you do? What do you do when we live in a world that's so prone to, to be wishy-washy and go back and forth? And what do you do when you have a mind that needs to be strengthened so that it is not wishy-washy going back and forth? What do you feed your mind? Well, you know what to feed your mind. You feed it the Word of God. You read about Jesus, you read what he said to his apostles, you read what he taught them, you read about what he did, you read about the resurrection, you read about the establishment of the church, you read about the, the doctrines, if you will. What's a doctrine? Tell me what a doctrine is. It's a teaching. That's all a doctrine is. We, we have this fancy kind of word doctrine and it seems like, oh, that's, that's got to do with theology. What's theology? That's knowing things about God. That's all theology is. These words sound highfalutin, but they're not really. They get right down to the brass tacks of what life is all about. What do you think about God? What do you think about his teachings? It's not theology and doctrine. It's knowledge of God, knowledge of his teachings. What stock do you put in those things? When you go to make a decision, what do you do? Do you pray about decisions? Is it going to be Burger King or McDonald's? Oh, let's pray. But I'm telling you this, 
the influence of God should be so profound in our lives, even when we're deciding where we're going to go eat. He ought to be in there somewhere. Amen? If we are faithful in the small things, where else will we be? Where am I going with this? (laughs) If we're faithful in the small things, where else will we be faithful but in the large things as well? It starts with the small things. That's where faith starts. And it moves up. Now, don't go home and say, oh, we, we studied about whether or not we should drink coffee from Starbucks or eat McDonald's hamburgers. That's not what this is about. This is about how you make decisions in life and what your basis is, what your values are. When you, when you go back here in the Gospels, you go back to that 21st chapter, as I was mentioning to you as we began. We started this reading about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But a little farther down in the 21st chapter, it says in verse 23, when he entered the temple, this is Matthew 21, verse 23, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? Is that a complicated question? It's not a complicated question. That's a simple, straightforward question. These guys knew about John's baptism, and Jesus is asking them, John's baptism, was that from heaven or was that from men? What's it say? They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. What's the problem? Did they know what they believed about John? Yes, they knew what they believed about John. Why didn't they just tell Jesus what they believed about John one way or the other? What does the text say? They were afraid of the outcome of their response. You know what fear does to us? Fear makes us weak. Fear makes us weak. I know fear. Oh, fear makes us afraid. Yeah, but it's being afraid that makes us weak. The only way to come out of the, the, the weakness of fear is to resolve to do right in spite of what we might fear. There has to be resolve. What is resolve? All resolve is, is a deliberate decision to do something. And we're talking about the deliberate decision to do what is right. And in this world, if anything's ever going to be tempted, it's going to be that kind of resolve. These guys were afraid. It's not the only place we talk about fear in the scriptures. Go a little farther here. This is John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the context is there was a man who was blind from birth. We read about a guy who was lame from birth that that Paul took care of. There was a man here blind from birth and Jesus gave him his sight back. And they're questioning, what's going on? How did this happen? And it says they asked his parents... This is down in verse 18. The Jews 
then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know or who opened his eyes. We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And verse 22 tells us why they said that. His parents said this because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. What's the problem? Did they know the truth? They knew the truth. And this is their son. How, how thankful do you think you would be if you had a son born blind and somebody comes along and fixes it? Boom. Your son, your child has their sight back. How thankful would you be? How grateful would you be? Who would you be telling about that? But these people are afraid because they've already been threatened. That if you do anything that acknowledges Jesus, you'll be kicked out. You know things aren't any different today, are they? We live in a world that that says the same thing. You acknowledge Jesus openly, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be kicked out. You're going to be persecuted. Whatever it might be, you won't be accepted. Here's the way you have to behave in our culture to be accepted. You've got to do these things to be cool. And if you do all these things, you'll be considered cool and you'll be accepted and it'll be all right. Here's where you have to shop. Here's where you have to buy from. Here's what you have to drive. Here's what you have to wear. Here's what you have to believe. And if we live our lives in fear of how the world sees us, you'll never do the right thing. And here's the thing, even if you do the right thing, if you do it out of fear for the way the world sees you, it it won't matter if you do the right thing then. We've got to resolve to follow Jesus in everything. We've got to resolve to let him be the one who helps us determine what is right and what is wrong. There's another text we could look at about fear. It's, It's talking about Peter. You know why Peter denied Christ? sitting outside when Jesus was on trial. Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid of what would happen to him. It's, it's always the same thing. Fear makes us weak. When you tell a lie, it weakens you. When you tell the truth, when you tell the truth, it makes you strong. Even if it's a truth that's unpleasant, even if it's a truth that's unwelcome, telling the truth will make you strong. Believing or practicing a lie will make you weak. So where do you think I want to point you this morning? One last text. One last text. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of those things. It's not a parable, but it's almost like a parable. Because it's not necessarily easy to believe, or easy to understand, rather, when you first read it and think about it. You have to give some time to it. But I'll give it to you in its context. We'll start in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Matthew six nineteen, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he says, 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And I don't think he's changed the context. I don't think he's changed topics. I think he's talking about the same thing. Where's your treasure going to be, on earth or in heaven? If your eye is clear, what, what does having a clear eye do for you? It lets you see things more clearly. It lets you make a determination between what's of real value and what's of not very much value. And let me tell you, in this world, what people think of you is of no value at all. That might seem like a strange statement, but I say that statement in juxtaposition. Don't you like that word, juxtaposition? It's even fun to say. That means in comparison to what God thinks of you. What God thinks of you, what Jesus Christ thinks of you, what the Holy Spirit who would live within you thinks of you is infinitely of more importance than anything all the world could think of you. And when Jesus is talking about your eye being clear, this is what he's talking about. Will you see what has true value? Will you put up treasure in heaven or put up treasure on the earth? What will you do? He says in verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. But then if the light that's in your dark, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He still haven't, hasn't changed topics. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And there it is, brothers and sisters. Today we make our resolve. If you've already made that resolve, you make it again. If you've never made it, I ask you to make it new and fresh today. Resolve to put your faith in God as the Father, Jesus Christ as the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the one whom God has promised to put in each one of us. Make your decisions based on what God thinks and what you know he teaches us from his word. Pray to him about decisions, great or small, and he will help you. And the result will be, you will be strong. And in this world, you need to be strong. And we can choose to be strong. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement, encouragement and invitation for anyone who uh, might need to make a decision today for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't want to walk the aisle, boy, we understand that. Just let us know before we leave here how we can help. Let's stand and sing together.